This is creative banter. It's rainy and somewhat miserable in both California and Pennsylvania as we record this. Though Ben does have the upper hand with his, at least slightly, warmer weather. In between a connection outage or two, we talk about the ongoing plant-based experiments and its effects on cycling, as well as the idea of having an emotional attachment to food. We then find ourselves speaking on rapid jump cuts in television shows and whether long-form content will find itself with a niche audience not too dissimilar to how film has been resurrected. Finally, we end the show with yet another recommendation, this time of large-format portrait photographer Brian Burks. Let's dive right into this, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> so it is a rainy day here in San Diego, um, which is which is nice. I mean, one of the things back when I used to work the the day job is I was like, oh man, I wish I could just be at home, just like you know, with the windows open in my home office, just you know, hearing the rain outside while I'm working. And I gotta say, it is it is pretty nice. Uh, it's 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 a, a bit more of a, a wintry rain, so it's a little chilly out there. Um, but uh, yeah. a little chilly, as in like what a low sixty? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's enough where you got to put yeah, on like a, a sweatshirt or something, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, this is um, this is a uh, El Nino season for us. Um, I'm sure you've you're aware of that, and I'm sure a lot of people are aware of that. But it's when the uh, ocean water in the Pacific warms up a little bit and it kind of screws with the track of the storms. And instead of all the storms staying up north, they drop down south and, and kind of run through us down in San Diego. And uh, so it's usually when they predict an El Nino season, it means it's going to be an especially wet season for us. And, you know, here we are, uh, we're in February now, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. February 1st as yeah. we record this. Um, but they'd been talking about this ever since, I think like summertime is when they started noticing that, hey, this is going to be an El Nino season. Um, but up until, you know, the past couple of weeks, we really didn't get much rain at all. But then once that switch gets flipped, yeah, it's, we, we get a lot of rain. So I was, I was up on the roof yesterday, cleaning out the gutters, patching an area that leaked last time we had rain for the, the roof and hopefully it's holding pretty good. Yeah. Like I was saying before we start recording, it's been nonstop rain, uh, rain and snow switching back and forth for the most part. Just dreary, cold weather in Pennsylvania for the yeah. past two months. It's lovely. Yeah, and it's only February. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like right now we're in we're around forty five degrees and it's just overcast, mostly yeah. cloudy kind of thing, and so it's like. Warmer than you would expect for January, February type of weather. But still, it's just, you still don't want to be outside. Everything's yeah. dead. Everything just yeah, last looks week, terrible. We had a storm that came through here and it dropped uh, a little over four inches of rain just in the morning. And we're not built for that here in San Diego. I mean, there, there's some areas where, yeah, that's just kind of a normal thing. But we only get like 10 inches of rain a year. 
And yeah. so to get almost half of our annual rainfall in one morning, uh, you know, bad things happen. Uh, so uh, hopefully now things will be a little better. But I, I've just been watching the weather forecast because this is when I'm usually heading to Death Valley, when I'm heading to Zion. And it's really weird because, you know, it's not quite cold enough in Zion for like full-on snow. It's just be kind of like a, a rain-snow kind of mix. Um, and Death Valley, I mean, next week, there's like five days of rain. And it's not a place I want to be when it rains, just because it's a muddy mess. And when you combine that with the fact that, you know, they just finished rebuilding all these roads from the uh, tropical storm that went through there uh, during the summer. And now if they get like five days of rain, like, is it going to wash out those roads? Am I even going to make it there this season? I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's just, yeah. it's so weird. Yeah. This weather is just, it's all over the place. It's not normal, but we all know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. This is the, the new normal is abnormal. And uh, yeah. 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 Uh, so what have you been up to? Um, well, this is, I, I was just thinking before we started recording that this is the third week now that I've been doing the, the plant-based, uh, experiment. Okay. And it's going great. Um, yeah. I, I find that things have, have been fine. Um, I, I went for a ride on Tuesday. Uh, it's my normal route that I go up the coast. So it was 62 miles, but I had my best ride ever. Like I was faster, I had more energy. Um, and so it's clearly not doing me a disservice. It, it's still too early to tell, you know, how things are, are, are progressing in terms of long-term. But, but yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been satisfied with it. And it's, it's kind of cool, but it's something that you can do like right now to actually have a positive impact on the environment. As opposed to so many other things in terms of like, hey, yeah, you're, you know, driving an SUV, but like, what am I going to do about that? You know, I, I don't have the money to buy like a Rivian or something. And, and that's not necessarily the best either because of, you know, all the, the mining to get the lithium and stuff. But, you know, there, there's some changes that can be made. So it's, it's been an interesting experiment. Um, so that's, yeah. that's what I've been doing for the past uh, week or so. What about you? Well, before that, I know you, with this whole experiment, how much longer do you plan on uh, continuing it? Because I know when we first discussed it, those three weeks ago or whatever it was, yeah, um, you said that it definitely wasn't going to be a long-term thing and you seemed pretty adamant about that. But each week we come on here and you're like, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm still doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, is it going to stop or is this more of like a I, uh, I lifestyle it, shift? It's, it's interesting because... I really, I haven't missed the, what, what the, the omnivore diet that I had before. I haven't missed it. I haven't like missed having cheese. I haven't missed having like chicken and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I think because of the position that I'm in, in fact, in the fact that I work from home, it makes it a lot easier to do this. I mean, if I was working somewhere and I had to go grab lunch each day, yeah, it would be a little bit more difficult. I think there'd be less options out there, definitely. Um, but the fact that I can, you know, make meals at home and, and everything, it's, it's, it's honestly not that much different than my experience beforehand. 
Um, but okay. I just feel like I'm getting some better nutrients and better food, kind of, a, you know, whole food kind of stuff as opposed to stuff that's a bit more processed or, or stuff along those lines. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know how long I'm going to go with it, but I do think that there are things I'm learning in the process that are definitely long-term things. Um, but at this point, I, I feel like I kind of have this thing going. I kind of want to see where it goes and I don't know where it's going to go. So I don't know. Maybe it is more long-term. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. So is this something that you have roped your wife into doing as well? Or is it just you that's uh, doing it in the house? It's just me. Um, but I, she's curious to see what the effects are as well. Um, and, and I think the fact that I'm doing the cycling stuff, I, I think it really does put things to the test a little bit because, you know, small changes tend to show up, you know, if you are, you know, pushing yourself on a pretty long, relatively vigorous bike ride, you know, you, you kind of notice things a little bit more. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, even if I don't stick with this long term, if there are many changes that we end up making um, that do stick around long term. But uh, I'd say that she's, she's curious about it, um, but she's, she's, not, she's not doing the same thing that I'm doing. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if in the long run, who knows, maybe we do. I, I don't know. It's, it is interesting though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the looking at it real realistically though too, it's not just the work from home aspect that you have on your side, but I think also the fact that you live in California and that's yeah, obviously a place where these trends, so to speak, are very easily <laughs> yeah. accessible. Yeah. Like getting all of the weird ingredients at some uh plant based vegan uh alternatives, all of that kind of stuff, uh yeah. is a lot more a lot more accessible for you than it is for someone in Wyoming or even for over here in Pennsylvania sometimes. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I obviously I'm not digging too deep into it yet, but I, I was wanting to have, I, I was curious about having some sort of uh, like smoothie I can make as like an easy lunch. So I just did a Google search and I found one that was, uh, it's, it's spinach, it's raw cashews, it's a little bit of maple syrup, um, a sliced uh granny smith apple some water some ice a little lemon juice it's all pretty standard stuff um yeah and and that was actually pretty pretty darn tasty it's just like costco and do do you have trader joe's out there is that a a, yeah we do it's uh intermittent but yeah yeah so so basically trader joe's and costco um had had everything so i mean it's just stuff like that i'm i've been just trying to find like solutions of oh i want some sort of uh lunch that has like all kinds of good nutrients in it and stuff that i can make pretty quickly and is pretty inexpensive to make so that's one thing i found so far and this actually was was pretty darn good um but it's and the other thing too is i've been i've um now i'm about a quarter of the way through the uh the book that you had recommended uh finding ultra by rich roll mm-hmm. and it's and he he does make some good points in there in terms of it's actually a lot simpler than it sounds it sounds very intimidating it sounds like this big lifestyle choice but if you have these like small changes you realize it's actually not that difficult to do 
Um, and so I'm kind of at that stage of just kind of learning all the ins and outs. I, I just, I think the main thing is I just want to increase my, my sort of my tool set. Um, and just to see if there's any habits I need to change. Um, but so far it's, it's been fine and it hasn't been, it hasn't been particularly difficult. So I remember with Rich and like I said, he talks about it in the podcast and everything, of course, um, about him saying that it's not, it's necessarily a difficult thing to even start implementing more whole foods in your diet as a starting point um more so that it's like a willpower of getting over the sugar cravings and the easily accessible processed foods that have a lot of like dairy products or milk products in them all that yeah um, was more of like the the difficulty point for a lot of people and myself included with that yeah um but yeah, yeah, I'm curious to see how this, how long this goes, especially, and uh, what kind of results you end up seeing. I think your connection may have dropped out there a little bit. Oops. Hello? <laughs> uh, yeah, you there? Yeah, yeah. Got me now. Hello, hello. Yeah, can you hear me? All right, we're back. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, uh, and, and my my end is still <laughs> recording, so it should be easy enough to sync back up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so is that something that you've been thinking about trying yourself? Yeah, it is. It's um, something I've considered in the past and continue to consider. Um, right now, I'm kind of thinking more like Mediterranean diet, like yeah. seeing about that because um, I think that's from my understanding at least that's like a step between so more whole food based but it's a lot healthier than what we normally eat yeah um, and kind of like a uh, can almost be seen as a transition point between things um, yeah for sure just trying just trying to figure out what's gonna work best um, and go from there and see because I mean, really, really what it comes down to is just trying to figure out, like, if I could figure out maybe 20, 25 staple recipes for dinners that are easy enough, accessible enough, that if I can add meat to for the rest of the family or whatever, if I need to, mm -hmm. then I'll be good. Like, then it, it'll be a very easy transition, but it's just getting to that point. That's the uh, difficulty. Yeah. And, and it does... It does seem like a lot of people have like an emotional attachment to food. Um, and I can see how that would be a difficult thing to break if it's something that, you know, people turn to because, you know, it, the whole comfort food, you know, it, it has a, a, a positive feeling for them and such. But I, I don't have that. For, for me, it's just like, it's more of like a necessity. It's like, oh, I got to eat again. Um, <laughs> so in that sense, it's actually been very easy just to change everything up. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, I can definitely see how for some people that would be a lot more difficult to try to break those habits and have all sorts of cravings and stuff. But I, I honestly haven't had that. So, um, but it, it is something that'll be interesting to see how it turns out a little bit more in the, uh, in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, as for what I've been up to this week, not, not a whole lot. Got a few interviews done with or for uh nature vision magazine so that's good cool um 
trying to increase our marketing a, a little bit more and make another push before this next issue comes out, see what happens with that. Now, when you say increase the marketing, is there a, like a, a certain plan that you guys have? No. <laughs> um, when I say that, I just mean like getting on different podcasts. And okay. Yeah. That kind of deal. Um, landscape photography, nature photography podcast, and increasing awareness around the magazine um, kind of as a thing, more of, hey, we're here and we're here to stay rather than uh, being in the dark so much. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's a good way of, of for the marketing just because it's you know anything that's that's long form that's you know also free you know that's that's also beneficial um but i i would see how that would be so much more effective than just oh here's like a a, an instagram ad or a facebook ad or or something like that where it's to me it feels like in that sense it's a little bit more like hey we're trying to sell you something as opposed to here here's a conversation where you know entice people with um, with what the magazine's about and, and that. So that's, I, I think that's a good approach. Yeah. And I think the problem, the more that I think about it now, the problem with doing like Instagram ads and Facebook ads, that kind of thing is you're going to attract, you'll attract certain people to that, that actually want to enjoy the content and you'll, you'll get the right audience here and there, but I don't think it's going to it would be a great investment because you're going to see a lot of people, like you just said, that are scrolling through and it's a lot of the ads that you see are just stuff that you want to buy, like presets or yeah. workshops or stuff like that. Um, whereas, And people go on social media to, to see quick content and yeah. get their fill really fast and then get off of it. Um, yeah. Whereas with the magazine, it's you have to be very mindful when you're going in to look at it and consume the content in a totally different manner. So I think there's there might be some kind of yeah, like fighting factor there. But yeah. I don't yeah, know. That actually reminds me of something um earlier today, um I went to the gym and it was this sort of thing where I, I went in there, I'm like, all right, I'll do like 10 minutes on the treadmill before doing some like weights and stuff just to kind of get a little warmed up. And there's the whole bank of TVs that kind of run the line. I don't know. There's probably like yeah. eight of them or something like that. Yeah, I know. And, and the one that's in front of me, it was set to the Food Network, which is always kind of a curious thing. Like, why do I got the Food Network on at the gym? That's kind of a weird thing, you know. Um, but the, the particular show that was on was some sort of, you know, competition show like they always seem to be. And I could not look at it. Like I had to turn my eyes away from it and I could not look at it because what it was is they were jump cutting so fast between takes that I had like this visceral visceral reaction of just like, I cannot even have this in my peripheral vision. And so I started, I started looking at it because um, I was curious, like how quick are these takes? It was less than a second. So like, you know, Jeez. one second, one second, one second. And there was one team that was wearing like blue shirts, another team that was wearing red shirts. I'm sure people are listening to this and will know exactly what the show is. And maybe <laughs> if you hear it with the audio, somehow it makes more sense. But just in this context, it was just like red, green, or you know, uh, like red, blue, red, blue. And then another person close up, this, that, this, that. And eventually I had to just like look down. I was like looking down at my feet when I'm on the treadmill because I could not even have this in my peripheral vision. Um, but it just, it got me thinking of like how, 
far things have been pushed when it comes to that short attention span. And, you know, looking down that row of TVs, they were all just normal stuff that was on, whereas just, you know, staying on the same clip for a while. I'm like, oh, this is just like so much nicer to look at. Well, um, I think like you mentioned that it's a, a food, like a cooking competition show. And yeah. I think that alone is what plays into it. Not necessarily that it's a lack of attention span, but more so that they're trying to replicate the environment of, oh, this is quick fast-paced action that's happening here that's like you're all over the place it's chaotic kind of environment more so than the attention aspect it, but I get, it is but i get what you're saying though too yeah. because we don't have the, the attention span that we do or yeah. that we used to or so it seems and but there, it was even more than that for this because it was also it, it was just like watching a bunch of clickbait thumbnails uh, just like for YouTube videos. It was just like made up of like a second of this, a second of that. Just like these like weird expressions on people's faces and just like over the top stuff. So it, it, I think it's just trying to create something that captures people's attention. But man, it just was, oh, it was just like unnerving to see. It was really, really weird just to have like that kind of a reaction of it. We're like, all right, we've, we've jumped the shark. We've taken this too far. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's always nice when there's something that's more long form in terms of content. It, it makes me wonder if that will kind of come back into fashion at some point, but I kind of doubt it. Yeah. I mean, I think that we'll have a resurrection of long form content that, but it's going to maintain as a very niche sort of ordeal. It's going to be a very small audience for it. Um. Like, cause you just, you go online and that's anything like you go and you see all of the real short articles on various websites, um, between like Petapixel and all these others. It's one in a million that it's long form, that it's like yeah. over a thousand or 1500 words. I mean, we even have to be careful with that, with the magazine, which sounds so weird to think that we're producing this magazine and we have to be mindful of how elongated these articles are, not just from a quality aspect and to make sure that people aren't just blabbering on for too long, yeah. but also because people are just going to skip through it and not bother reading it regardless how good the article is. Yeah. Like you, you look at like the articles that Guy Tall puts out and most of those are around 1500 words or less. And there's a beauty in succinctity but at the same time, there's there's a reason behind that. Yeah. Like people won't read or react to those longer articles if you're putting out 3,000, 6,000 words. And you really have to be dedicated to what that person is saying and to that person in general and, and know that it's going to be quality before you even start. Yeah. And, and it seems like the, like the, the long form stuff, obviously in terms of written stuff, you know, you got a book. That's pretty long form. Um, when it comes to audio, uh, podcasts are certainly very long form. But also I know that, I mean, obviously we don't have commercials here, but I know that there's a lot of podcasts that rely on commercials and sponsors and all that. And then there's been a huge pullback in, in that industry where, you know, podcasts that were relying on, on the ads, they're just, it's all like dried up. So it seems like that is going to have a... Um, 
a negative impact on on the podcasting as a long form because I don't and I don't know if that has anything to do with things that are shifting more towards short form stuff, but it seems like that's certainly where companies are, are dumping more money. And speaking of dumping, man, it is raining really hard outside. <laughs> Hopefully, my connection stays strong. I'm watching this tree that's like just hovering above my uh, my cable line, so I don't know. It'll, it'll probably be all right. <laughs> Hopefully, but yeah, I mean, like you said, the the number of podcasts that I've listened to that had said like um, on taking pictures mentioned it in a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. How they have an audience of a couple thousand. I don't obviously don't know the specifics there, but it's more than our 10. Yeah, exactly. I know. I'm a little yeah. jealous. Yeah. At least like a hundred, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were saying how back when they first started doing the podcast, they could have made or they were making enough money to sustain it to pretty much almost live off to a, to a degree. It was like a substantial amount of money that they were making from it. And now they come back and there's no way they could do that now. Yeah. Like you need 5 million people, not 5,000 that are tuning in each week to even think about sponsorships for certain stuff. And of course, there there are some small ones, but then the money is just, I, in my opinion, the money isn't even worth it at that point if, because it's not going to be enough. Yeah. So, everyone's turning over to... Well, then, then you look at like TikTok and YouTube shorts and all of that, and that's where all of these advertisements are going. And like the on YouTube, most YouTube videos are sub 10 minutes, sub 15 minutes, and yeah. those are the ones that have the most sponsorships in it. Yeah. You kind of wonder if, it, if it's even possible for the pendulum to, switch, to swing back the other direction. Just because I, I, I don't see that there's a, really a path for it to, to have that sort of change. So I don't know. It's it's it is a strange one. Yeah. It's it's one of those things that like I said it's going to be very it's going to be a very niche audience that does swing back to it just like in, with the film industry. Like you're going to see just like we saw a lot of people adopt film cameras and film workflows as a rebuttal to digital and the fast-pacedness of that. Yeah. You're going to see the same thing with various content uh just going against the grain with it, but I, it, I don't think it's ever going to be uh, enough. Yeah, yeah. Any? Uh, do we have any uh, topic suggestions for this week? We do have a few. We have one, two, three from Andrew Gifford on the nice. Discord. Let's see what do we got here. So we've got one about monographs. And writing notes in photo books and monographs. One about to what extent do you... Yeah, let's go with this one. Okay. So, Andrew wonders, to what extent do you like to see or feel the creative imprint, the maker's mark, of your favorite photographers and their work? And regarding your own photos, to what extent do you seek to be invisible, seen, or felt? Hmm. Interesting one. Um... I'm curious your take on that because I'm still trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to think it through. That's a good one. Um, I think there's a few ways to interpret this too, which makes it even more difficult. <laughs> so, to what extent do you like to see or feel the creative imprint, the maker's mark, of your favorite photographers and their work? 
Okay, maybe we shouldn't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it is uh, a tricky one. Um, I, I will say that from my own perspective, I honestly don't dig very deep into the meaning behind other people's work. I just take it as it is and enjoy it, but I don't really, I don't really analyze things all that much. I don't really um, try to find what the greater meaning is. You know, for me, if, if, if I see it, you know, if it has an impact, that's great. I can appreciate it. But I really don't dig much deeper than that. Um, and I, I can relate to the other one in terms of like, like when it comes to my own work, um, in terms of like feeling sort of invisible, in terms of like, not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering where the interpretation is for that one. Um, just, just from like the, the very straightforward standpoint, I, I, I just really want whatever I was, was going through my mind when I shot a photo, I want that to come through in the image. Um, but I want the rest of the whole process to be rather invisible. Like I don't want people to even think about the camera, the film, anything like that. I just want people to see that photo and, and perhaps, you know, have a feeling of what I was thinking when I was going through the process of setting it up. So I, I guess feeling a little bit invisible in that sense, but I really don't put much, um, I don't, my photos aren't terribly deep. <laughs> it's a photo of a tree. <laughs> I like the tree. It was beautiful. You know, I, I felt it had a story to tell. So I took a picture of it. I hope that it comes through. But I don't really, there's nothing really much deeper than that, I, I think, is when it comes down to it, at least for, you know, for my stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'd agree for the most part. I think, like, in a lot of my work, especially my newer work that has remained largely unseen because I'm very slow with getting anything out there and just don't feel like doing it. Um, it's more about like the story behind everything, um, even if that story isn't necessarily obvious, which at times it isn't. Um, but like I look at a photographer like Nick Carver and the photographs that he typically takes and from when we talked on the podcast last year, he was saying about the um, the mark that he puts into his photographs and how, like, what he's trying to do with his photographs, the story he's trying to tell with them. And to a degree, like you said, it's it's not super obvious unless it's explained to you in some instances. Like, now that he said that, I can see it in all of his work. And now that he, like, once he explained that, but beforehand i was like oh it's a pretty building of a laundromat <laughs> yeah i i didn't get i didn't truly get as deep and philosophical into his seeing his work uh, as i might from even my own work and the stories that i tell so i don't know it's it's a tricky question and it's just yeah and and also does does the motivation behind the art really need to be obvious? Yeah, I don't think it does. I don't think it does either. I I, I it, maybe it's one of those things where the more nuanced it is, um, perhaps the greater the meaning in in some way. Because I think if it just kind of you know 
you know, here's art. I'm going to punch you in the face. Here's the message. I don't know. It's that's, I don't know. I, I feel like more nuance is, is a good thing where you can read a bit more into it, but I, I don't think it should be necessarily too blatant. Obviously there's no right or wrong way for art, but at least, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that it's necessarily a matter of trying to make it incredibly obvious, but I don't know. I take pictures of trees and rocks and leaves <laughs> and mud, lots of cracked mud. Yeah. Very good thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Our brains are already going dead. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> do, you, do you want to do the, well, we still got a bit of time. Um, I don't know if you have any other topics you want to get to, or if you want to do the, the suggested artist or anything in mind. So one thing that you mentioned two episodes back, if you can think back that far. It's yeah, quite I'll dope. try. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, it could have just been a passing comment, but it, when I was editing the episode, I just caught, caught my eye, caught my ear, whatever the phrasing would be there, um, uh, where you said that YouTube, or at one point that YouTube may not be viable. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, again, it could have just been more of a passing comment, but at what point would YouTube not be viable to continue on with for you, in your opinion? Yeah, and actually, I I, I actually remember that because I know it was in relation to when I was talking about um, eventually maybe doing like the the written journal as far as like a printed piece, and I I had commented about how you know maybe go in that direction if YouTube isn't viable. Um, I don't know. Um, I've I've been doing that for a long time. Obviously, it's great from a storytelling aspect, but if at some point that platform changes, at some point if they obviously I don't I think they they don't like the fact that I don't have ads on there. Um, I've actually gotten uh, I've, well, I've received uh, emails from a few people saying, "Hey, you know, I I want to do ad free YouTube as well, but I can't figure out how to do it." Um, cause you have to have enough subscribers to join the partners program at that point. Then if you turn off ads, they stay off mm, um, right. versus if you're just getting started with YouTube, YouTube's going to insert ads into your videos, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And um, you don't get a cut of that then either at that exactly. point. Exactly. They, they, they take the whole thing. Um, and so it's, it's an unusual thing to intentionally not have ads. Um, but it's also something that is a result of me having been there as long as I have been, but I also know that they don't like that. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of like foresee at some point there could be some changes where, uh, things change. Some YouTube only seems to be getting stronger, um, you know, growing. It's not a, you know, it's, it's not like some of the things like, you know, MySpace is around for a while, then it went away. It seems like YouTube's only getting stronger in, in that sense. But just, I guess, as like a backup plan, if, if for some reason there are some significant changes there, or even if it's just a matter of um, the National Park Service becoming even more deliberate with the filming rules, because right now it's still kind of a weird like very gray area sort of thing where the, the rules have to do more with commercial production mm, okay. uh, versus, you know, on a YouTube channel with no ads, 
uh, with not monetizing it. Like, I, I don't even know where that fits, but I just know that the, uh, you know, the, the stuff that's in place with regard to filming in the national parks really is geared more for like a, a commercial production in terms of like telling them where you're going to be at a specific place and time and certain areas are accessible other areas aren't and there's big fees and insurance and stuff like that and um it, it's not really to have those rules apply to an individual person it just makes it completely not worthwhile mm -hmm. um so that that's another aspect of it um versus if i'm just going around with a notebook <laughs> you yeah. know yeah uh, it, it would be a bit different in that regard um but you know it's change is a uh it's just it's a factor of life. So, you know, at some point there could be some changes involved that make it where it's just not, not really viable anymore. And so in, in that case, I think doing like a, a, a printed, uh, kind of calling it a zine really isn't the best way to describe it. I guess more of just like an adventure journal that comes out each year, that could be an alternative to, to something like YouTube. Um, maybe throwing some like QR codes in there where you can, you know, somehow have video of the scene or the audio or something like that. But, but I don't know. It, I don't think it's going away. I don't think anything is going to change, but it's always probably good to think about some degree of a, a backup plan of sorts. Yeah. I can't really imagine YouTube. I don't think YouTube will ever truly go away, especially because it's owned by Google. Yeah. So it's like if Google goes down, for we're... Yeah. If Google goes down, then uh, we're in trouble in terms yeah. of the internet. Um, but I, I find it kind of odd that there aren't, like you see all of these different social media platforms that are popping up. And even if they're like dying off quick deaths, they're still, people are still trying with them. Yeah. But you don't really see that, at least not that I see when it comes to video sharing platforms to compete with YouTube. Yeah, I think only... to, Vimeo was kind of one that was going strong for a while, but then that has kind of faded away a little bit. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, maybe it's just because it takes so much infrastructure to run something of that scale that there's just, it's not really viable otherwise. Yeah. I don't know why, why it is that way, but I do find it odd. And that, but that's also why YouTube can get away with all the stuff that they do, like with the changes in how they pay their creators and the people that uh, upload content to them. And now recently with the, with the ad blocks and essentially throttling, uh, throttling their service on different web browsers and all that kind of stuff that's been reported. It's, yeah, it's a shame because like, Obviously, I enjoy watching your videos, and so do many other people. And to to think that if YouTube decides to force ads on your videos or shut down or do something stupid, that you are almost in a position where you have to stop doing it because there's no alternative. Like, yeah. what, what would be the alternative to that? Because so many like website platforms. Or website builders like Squarespace integrate so easily with YouTube in terms of embedding videos and such. Well, well, Patreon does now have the ability to have videos hosted there. 
Right. Um, I haven't tried it. And obviously at that point it's beyond a paywall. Um, though I guess but you could have it where they could be available for, for everyone. Yeah, and maybe that's exactly. kind of what they're angling at in terms of they want to get more into that market. Um, so that, that really wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I was going to say that Patreon does have, I did see that they have that. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully nothing happens where you, where YouTube isn't viable any longer for it. But like, like you said too, with the national parks, which I don't necessarily think that there's any way they'll be able to track uh, like individual bodies uh, because of the lack of resources that they have already. But yeah. And that's a tricky one because on, on one hand, there are people as as we've kind of mentioned in the past that you know national parks have become a backdrop um for some of the i guess you'd say influencer types i i just i do not like that word um <laughs> where it's kind of like bringing too much um too much attention to certain areas too much visitation to certain areas and this and that where there are some that some of the stuff that's out there I can see as being very problematic to the parks. Um, so it, it is a fine line where it, in some cases, yeah, it, it probably isn't right, you know, to have sort of the commercial stuff there. But I don't know. It, it's just weird because I don't really know where I fit in with all of that sort of stuff. Because I, I want like clear guidelines, clear rules and a system that makes sense. Um, yeah. I but mean, that's it's... really hard to scale for the variety of people that are out there. Yeah, that doesn't help either. Like, I can't imagine that you even could be lumped into like the more commercial class where you would have to pay for like permits, whatever they would end up doing, or not be able to do it at all. Yeah, uh, because of the fact that you're not running ads, you're not making money directly off your videos. It's more yeah, of an so indirect. I can't, like, I can't attribute to like, oh, this is what I made from this area. Yeah, I mean, if they want the thirty-seven dollars I made from YouTube last year, I'll give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a couple older videos that are still monetized, but it makes very very little. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is it is very difficult. Um, so I, I really do hope that they come up with a system that is that makes more sense that scales better to different different groups. If there's like some sort of online permit process, I would. I, I actually, I, I would welcome that because, you know, I am one that wants to, uh, I'm, I'm a rule follower yeah. and I, I want the rules to be clearly defined and it's just, I, I don't know where things stand. And I think that's where there's, there's some degree of, um, of, of, I'm not sure what it is, but I, I just want things to be better defined and I want a system that makes sense and I, and I will happily uh, happily do what I got to do to, to follow the rules. Yeah. Like I said, I just don't like the more that you think about it, the more confusing it gets because like you could have them come out with, if you make, if you made X amount of money in 2023, that was directly attributed to videos taken in a national park or whatever. That's like, how do you track that? How do you, there, there are so many questions that pop up. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Yeah. 
I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. That's not my, uh, not my expertise. I don't really have an expertise, but that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, you want to do the, uh, person thing, whatever that we found. Yeah. I, I understand that you have a suggestion for this week. I do. And we've talked about them before a little bit on the podcast, but, um, I just received a print from them, and so I figured it would fit in quite well. So, for this week, we have Brian Burks that I wanted to highlight, and I think he listens to the show at least semi-regularly. So, if he's listening, hi, Brian. Hey, Brian. (laughs) So, Brian is a portrait photographer using large format film. He has done a few assignments for uh, New York Times in the past year or two or so. Um, has a YouTube channel as well and has really, really beautiful work. I don't know. Do you follow Brian on Instagram? Uh, what is his username? Well, it's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Burks, B-I-R-K-S. Nothing fancy, just his name. I am looking right now. I could type better. That would be better. I always love to, like, I'm on Google Chrome because of Riverside, and I don't use Chrome for anything besides recording Riverside and for therapy because Safari doesn't interact well with that stuff. And I'm not logged into my Instagram. I don't remember what my Instagram login is, and I can't click on any of his photos to, like, go to descriptions or anything right now. So I, I just pulled him up right now, and I actually wasn't already following him. I, I would have thought that I would have been. Um, but yeah, checking out the work right now. It's, there's some cool stuff there. Portraiture, which is something that I have very little experience with. So I always have a, a ton of respect for that. To go to his YouTube channel as well. Yeah, I want any, to find... Any, any, any particular work from him that... Uh, you'd like to uh, uh, mention? His main series is Articles of Virtue. I believe I got that name right, right? Yeah. His main series is Articles of Virtue, which is taking photographs of people with their old restored cars, um, kind of environmental photos of different bits and pieces from it. Ultimately, from my understanding, he wants to culminate this into a, a book at some point. And like I said, they're all taken on large format film, which makes it all the more impressive, in my yeah. opinion. Um, especially seeing as to the sharpness levels that you can get with that, the amount of detail and everything. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, I'm looking at some of the portraits right now, and I'm just thinking, like, oh man, if I had to shoot that on a large format, that's that's a whole undertaking because they they look very they don't look a lot of times large format photos for portraits have a very posed look um and these ones don't necessarily have the pose look it's a very natural look which Mm -hmm. i think is pretty impressive especially given that it is large format yeah 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 so um like i said i got a print from him he is currently selling a couple prints to fund, I'm not sure exactly, I don't remember exactly what it is, but um, some kind of photo 
photography-related thing, event, that he got accepted to that requires a little bit of funding to get him there and to supply the film and everything that he wants to do. So, received a print, silver gelatin, uh, 11 by 14 paper, I think is what it was. Uh, really nicely done as well. So, that's always nice to see because you don't see that very often anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's very cool. So, I, his, his website's excellent, uh, brianburks.com, which I'm sure you'll have a link to down in the show notes. And uh, I have uh, made sure I followed him on Instagram, and I'm actually a little surprised I wasn't already following him. So, that's, that's, that's very, very much appreciate that suggestion and some fantastic work. Yeah. And that's about all I'm good for for today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is dead. I hope you enjoyed our creative banter. You can learn more about Cody's work by visiting his website, CodySchultz.com. And you can find my work at BenHorn.com. For further discussion, join us at Patreon.com slash Creative Banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone whether you're a paying member or not. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you around next time.